0: God is faithful. We talked a lot, a whole lot, about that last week for those that were here. So uh, let's kind of do what we do. We kind of review. This week it's chapter 25. Uh, We're going to end our talk. We're going to take a pause on Moses at uh, part 13 here uh, in Exodus. But if you'll remember, we talked about the Exodus. We talked about what an Exodus was, a mass movement of people, or I like the definition, well if it's capitalized, it's a book in the Bible. Yep, that's that's it. It's the Exodus. And and really the focus of the Exodus was the faithfulness of God. And how God he, he makes these promises, he makes these statements, and in spite of any odds or anything, he's faithful to do exactly what he says he's gonna do. And and, and part of our our call last week, part of our, our the importance of understanding that, is that we were called, you and I are called, to remember the incredible things that God has done in our life. Everybody in this room, everybody, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you look like, I don't care what your story is, God has done incredible things in your life. Whether you realize it or not, He has, and for the majority of us, uh, we do, we can think of specific things that pop immediately in our head and we're like, yeah, God did that. And, and we're called to, to remember them. And, and, and the reason is, you know, remembering points us to God's faithfulness. All right? When we remember the good things God's done now, Uh, in the past it it, it reminds us that God is faithful and and remembering should point us ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ who shows up with us shows up for us time and time again And, and our application is that remembering God's faithfulness through Christ will provide peace comfort and strength as we navigate any circumstance in our life that no matter what's going on around me out here I can have peace in here when I remember the God that is for me. a matter of fact, when I remember who's for me, and I remember what God has done before me, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can stand against me, no matter what the circumstance is. So if I go home tonight and my wife says, you got a letter in the mail and you got cancer, I'm not, you know, is that going to bum me out? Is that going to, absolutely. But man... Even in that, I can have peace in Christ because I know he's with me and he goes before me. And I can, I can lose my job, I can lose my dog, I you know can play the country song and everything falls apart and I can still have peace on the inside. All right? That's the, the victory of Christ, and, and we talked a little about when we left last night, I kind of gave you guys a map, and I was trying to explain how confusing God is to these Israelites, and I said, oh, well, here's a map, and here's, here's where they're supposed to go to the land, and, and they, 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 went, they did this big detour, and the, way, the best way that I explained it is, you know, if you and I were going to go to the baseball game, right, uh, next map. If you and I were leaving Union, Missouri to go to the baseball game, and God said, okay, you're going to go to the baseball game via Donovan way down here instead of just going to St. Louis, like that's how big of a detour God took these people on. And it would be crazy. My wife would go crazy if I was like, come on, babe, we're going to Donovan, we're going to the baseball She's like, what is wrong with you, Sean? And, and that's. That's really the equivalent of what God has done here, and it was a reminder that God's plan may not take yes the direction we expect. Okay, it did not take them the direction they expected. It was a little bit confusing, and then we also got the reminder as God was shown uh, in the cloud, and God was making Himself uh, present in the fire, in the pillar of fire. Uh, he was basically telling the people. Uh, that he is with us, that God never leaves us. And we talked about how that, yes, that God made himself present in the cloud and he makes himself present in the fire, but he made himself fully present in Christ Jesus, who's not only uh, before us and around us and all that, but he takes up residence inside of us. God never, he never, never, ever, ever leaves us. Alright and that's kind of where we we left off last week and, and like I said last week there was a real temptation to kind of jump to this week because boy this is an exciting time in the life of Moses but it was really critical, it was critical, I had to have you guys understand. The faithfulness of God and, and what that looks like as, as we've looked at Moses' story and we talked about Abraham and Isaac's story and all these crazy things that God promised coming true. That, that God is faithful. It's important. We need to know that we can count on this God that we're reading about. So we pick things up this week in Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. We'll start there. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back. And encamp in front of Pe-Herahoth, between Migdal and the sea, and in front of baal You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." And they did so. So uh, you guys ever heard the phrase between a rock and a hard place? Has anybody heard that phrase? You, am I just really old? You guys have heard that? You ever been trapped between a rock and a hard place? All, it's funny, all the old people are like, I know that one. <laughs> it implies that you're in a tough spot. That whichever way you go, you're in a jam here. And, and God is positioning the people in, in kind of a tough spot here. On the map, I mean, I circled it here so you could kind of understand what the situation is. Uh, you you look up here, and and Pharaoh's coming with his army, all right. And he's I mean he's really coming, and he's coming like this. And the people they got their back backed up against the sea. You, you guys have seen the Lake Ozark. Most of you have seen a big lake before. Uh, the Red Sea's pretty big, all right, and their back is against the sea, and and the army's coming like this. That that'd be kind of a scary thing, right? Like it's it's like a trap. Uh, it's a whole. It, it, that's God's plan. A matter of fact, you know, I say it's a trap. Uh, we use this phrase in the army, called a fatal funnel, and that's what you wanted. You wanted to get the enemies in a fatal funnel, in other words, trapped where they could only go one way and they were really concentrated into one spot. For people that are deer hunting, what do you hunt? You hunt funnels. That's the good deer hunters. We all kind of look around and figure out where are the deer bottlenecked in in a tight spot. It's the same principle here and the the Israelites are in a fatal funnel. They're backed in, they're surrounded by their enemies. Do you understand? This is a scary Scary proposition, uh, and God in the midst of that, he, not only does he tell them to get into this position. Understand, hey guys, uh, I want you to go and let them surround you. And then turn around and look at them. That sounds like a really great plan, God. That's Terry. But God makes a promise. Once again, he makes a promise. And he says, look, and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to come after you. So don't be surprised when he comes after you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke the bear here, and he's going to see that you guys are trapped, that you're in a bad, a vulnerable position, and he's, he's coming. And that kind of sets our stage this week. Exodus 14, 5 through 9, the story continues. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Thiharoth in front of baal So uh, you, get, you get the proud Pharaoh here. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What have we done here, sending these servants? Uh, and he's got an army. Understand, like, we see your chariots, and for you and I, we sit in this room, and you're like, chariots, yeah. What you don't realize is that was the stealth bomber of the day. There was nothing more destructive than the chariots. The Israelites didn't have no chariots, all right? They didn't have all these no 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 no. So this was a, a very this was the top of the line army going out against a bunch of farmers. Not, a, not, not exactly an enviable position to be in. And, and Pharaoh's getting all excited now. He's getting all excited. Matter of fact, it made me think of, of this scene, the bully. You know, and, and what does the bully want to do? The bully wants to, to put you in a corner. And I really had to fight the urge. Like, I, I was tempted to, like, show you stuff about dealing with bullies. Because I like, the problem with bullies is this. It's always the same thing. They are way overconfident. Bullies are always confident and overconfident, and whether they realize it or not, that, that, that attitude puts them in a very, very, very vulnerable state. As you're about to see with Pharaoh, I actually like that the kid's got a smile on his face here. Like he knows something that those guys don't know. All right, and uh, yeah. God, God's got a plan here as they're being bullied and backed against the wall. And I want you to, to just, well, let's find out. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall not see. Oh my goodness, I clicked my slide. That's not good. You shall not never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Now I tried to like look for a bleeish picture of like, the bully and the guy and then, like, the big guy, like, that was on the good guy's side. and I couldn't, I couldn't come up with something. But essentially, the people look out. And they've seen Pharaoh and they seen, understand, these are a bunch of shepherds and farmers. And they look out and they see the soldiers. And their focus is there and they're obviously scared. I wouldn't even say unreasonably scared. If you're gonna get into a fight with an army and you're just, you ain't got nothing, this is is a scary proposition, understand that. But the problem is, the people were focused on the problem. We've done this before with the map. They were focused on the problem and instead of being focused on the fact that they had the world's greatest problem solver who who was leading them and directing their steps. And because they were looking at the problem and not looking at the problem solver, the people were scared. They were terrified. Exodus chapter 14, verses 15 through 20, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? You tell the people of Israel to go forward. I want you to remember that. What did he tell them to do? To go forward. Let's try that one more time. What did he tell them to do? Go to go forward. To lift up your staff, I want you to stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That's a big thing that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground and I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And uh, did you, what, did God, what did God tell the people to do? To go forward. In other words, you guys know about this. I, some of you that run track, you really know about this. When you're running the race, all right, and you're, you're running and you know it's a tight race and you're getting close to the finish line, what would your coach do if you so help me took a peek back over your shoulder? Oh, You'd be in big trouble, right? Don't look back over your shoulder. You never look back, do you? If you're running a race, you never look back. God is saying, what are you doing looking at them? Look forward. Why are you saying, oh, it'd be better that we died in Egypt? Stop looking in the past. Stop looking backwards and look forward. Do you understand? That's what God is saying. He's saying, look forward. Don't look back. Whatever life you thought you had there, don't look back at that. You look forward. You look ahead to what I'm about to do. And then he looks at Moses and he gives him this weird command. Raise your staff and split the sea in half. Now, if I look at Carter and say, Carter, raise your hand and split the Berbus River in half, you're going to look at me like, what in the world is wrong with my dad? He had a stroke, something's wrong, get him some help. But God looks at Moses and he says, raise your staff. Raise it. And again, God creates a split. He, he, there's an angel, whatever that looks like. I, based on scripture, that's a pretty scary thing all its own. And the cloud that gets between the groups. So you got Egypt over here and you got the Israelites over here and God puts a uh, a wall of protection between the people. And the plot thickens. Exodus chapter 14, verse 21 through 25. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. I love that. I, look, I haven't been there. You haven't been there. I, those little details... What kind of wind? If he had just said the wind, I would have, but it's, it's the details. This really happened. you understand that? It was an east wind that did it. <laughs> it's very specific. For Like, it's crazy when you really think about what the little detail here. That didn't have to be there just to tell a fake story. He's telling that because it's real. This is what happened. It was an east wind. I remember it. Drove it back by an east wind all night, and he made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch... The Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So understand, Moses raises his staff and the waters divide. The waters split, and the people walk through what was the sea. They were cornered, right? The wall has gone, and they walk through on dry land. I want you to catch that because something changes here. So the Israelites go, and they take off through dry land. And there's a, a, a block, remember? The angel and the cloud. And at some point, the, the angel and the cloud move. And of course, the Egyptians say, let's go get them, boys. If they can do that, we can do that. But the problem is, as they go through, uh, God throws their forces into a panic. It's not that the Israelites did something like crazy and threw them in. No, 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 no. God just says, uh, let there be panic. And there was panic. And the same land that was so dry that the Israelites could just walk through. Now understand, they didn't just walk on foot, right? They had their animals and they had their carts, you know, loaded down with all the stuff that Egypt had given them. All the gold and the jewelry and the clothes and all the food and everything, right? They plundered the place. Everybody just gave it to them to go away. So they had to have like wagons and stuff. You notice their wagons and stuff just went by on dry land. It was no big deal. They just crossed the sea. And at some point, God says, let there be panic. And not only is there panic, well, all of a sudden, their chariot wheels are getting clogged. They're driving heavily. All of a sudden, there's mud. There wasn't mud, but now there's mud because God says, let there be panic. And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes off. Uh-oh. oh <laughs> Duh, like if you hadn't got it through the ten plagues. Their God is fighting for them. We're in big trouble. We need to get out of here, is what they decide. It took them that long. But the wheels are clogged. They can't just run away. And they're all in a panic. Because God said, let there be a panic. Exodus chapter 14, verse 26 through 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, You stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not even one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. God destroys all of them. Understand, outnumbered, cornered, backed against the wall. One of the greatest armies, military forces in that time in history has got them cornered with all his chariots and all his stuff, and God wipes out every single one of them. That military was destroyed. Egypt had to start over with their army. Do you understand? This is a crazy thing that God just did. And uh, we get this awesome picture that Andrew helped me blur out. Again, I'm just gonna say to my creatives in this room, if you are interested in art, please paint some decent pictures of these things that are amazing in scripture, because every one of them, these old paintings, is naked people, and I don't understand. There was no reason for nursing babies in this picture, and they had, it was just weird. Uh, Andrew and I were fixing it earlier, right, Andrew? It was, it was not good. Or I guess it was last night we were, we were fixing it all. God destroyed everything. Do you understand? He drowned the entire army in the ocean and set the Egyptians free. Exodus fourteen thirty through 31 Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Which if we go way back in time, right? What does God tell Moses? Well, we'll get there. The people worshiped. The people got to the other side and uh, everything that God said he was going to do he did. He didn't miss a beat. And for us, well, the story is to be continued. There's a lot more in the life of Moses. I could go on and on and on. Like this is a 50-part a series just on this dude Moses. But we're going to stop right here on Moses. I'm going to leave you with the victory at the end of the Red Sea. So, we're going to ask the same questions that we've asked every single week as we've gone through this, this series. First of all, what does Moses' story tell me about God? Alright, this week, what, is, what, what, what do we got? Well, A, he is in control. He has absolute authority over his creation. It's a fascinating thing. Some of these things that happen over the course of our time talking about Moses, you know, you'll have uh, uh, some secularist will tell you, "Well, that's impossible. That never happened." Well, there's tons of evidence that it did. And then you'll have other ones that'll be like, trying to explain how it was a natural phenomenon. Well, sometimes the sea blows just right and without e- even contemplating. You know, first of all. That's not true. This is a little bit bigger than whatever natural thing you're saying. Second of all, who's in charge of that natural thing? God? <laughs> it's the dumbest thing. You know, they either, they either say it didn't happen or, or they have some lame argument that doesn't stand up. Truth is, God's in absolute control and authority over his creation. These things are well documented outside of Scripture. This happened. This is real life. Alright, this is an amazing thing because we serve an amazing God who has absolute authority over his creation. He also, because of that, has the authority to make promises and the power to fulfill them, and he does it every single time. If he makes a promise, he fulfills it, 100%. God does draw a line in the sand. He makes a distinction between his children and those who have rejected him. Ask Pharaoh. Drown to the ocean. You know, they, every once in a while, they find this little thing and that little thing, and they think, that it could be this piece of a chariot you know, at this location. They find stuff. Of course, that was because a giant army was murdered. The key here is God is, again, faithful. Doesn't matter if there's a whole army against you. If God is for you, they're outnumbered. God is faithful. He is absolutely in control. The parting of the Red Sea is also meant to point us to Jesus. And you're like, well, Sean, that's what you say every week. Ha-ha. What does God's Word say? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4. through 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, that's the Israelites, were all under the cloud, uh, 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 there's that cloud again, and all passed through the sea, that is this sea, and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Jesus Christ. The Red Sea is meant to point us to Him. And as, as far as that goes, uh, okay, so here's this sea that is a dividing line between the, the, you know, the people in, in Egypt and the Promised Land. And there is a great sea that divides us because of our sin between us and a holy God. And who do we pass through? What's the bridge across that great gulf? The Lord Jesus Christ. This is, once again, a picture pointing us to Jesus Christ. And again, just like the cloud was supposed to tell the people, I am with you. And the pillar of fire was supposed to remind the people, even when it's dark outside, I am with you, I am with you. And of course, the cross of Christ is a reminder and I love, we get a better deal, man. He's not just with me and and, and and around me everywhere, but he is within me as a child of God, and I've been adopted, man. The whole He takes up residence inside of me. He is with me everywhere I go. Everywhere. So again, what's the point? Why does any of this matter, Sean? Why does it matter? To me, First of all, again, God is faithful to carry out the plans he has for our lives now and the life yet to come. In other words, he's faithful to carry out whatever he's got planned for me here. But when Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back. Well, God's 100% faithful. Every time he says it, it's true. Then I can rest on that. No matter what's going on. I don't care. Whatever. Uh, We'll we'll get to it in Philippians. If I die, I'm waking up with Jesus, man. And uh, man, that's a I'm looking forward to seeing him i got work to do in the meantime, but boy, I'm not exactly scared of that thing. I can't wait. All right? You and I are called to remember the good things God has done in our lives to celebrate them and to share them with others. That's, if you ever hear somebody use the fancy church word to, to, to testify or to be a witness, what you're saying is this is what God has done in my life. And and when I remember it, it's good for me and it encourages me. But man, when I tell other people around me, there's no greater uh, tool that God has given you outside of his holy word to minister to other people, to point them to Jesus, than you sharing with others the things God has done in your life. When you say, man, I was, I was going through a hard time and this is how uh, Jesus showed up in my life, showed up through my friends, showed up through the church, showed up right when I needed it most of my whole life was falling apart and there he was. When you tell that to your friends when they're going through hard times, man, you've got, you got a key that nobody can take away. It's important for us to share our stories to remember what God has done. It's a huge part, again, of what a life of worship looks like. In other words, worship's not just raising my hands and singing on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Worship is going outside and, you know, whatever, man. The light turned green, right? I wanted it to turn green and say, God, thank you for the light turning green. Or or I see deer everywhere. I like like deer. Man, every time I see a deer, every time I see a bald eagle, you know what I do every single time? I thank God every time. I, Lord, thank you. I, I, I didn't deserve to get to see that. And I know some people that sound silly, but man, that's what a life, it's, it's seeing him everywhere. I see the evidence of God working in my life everywhere. And most of all, and man, in and you guys every week, I see the evidence of God. I see him working in your lives. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past propels us to trust God today. That means when I remember that God has gotten me through this thing or that thing or the other thing and things aren't going well today, I can look back and say, you know what? God never let me down, not one time. Not one time has He failed and I can trust Him even when things around me don't seem to be going right right now, even when my back's against the Red Sea and it feels like the Army's closing in and I am feeling less than comfortable in the moment. I can trust that God has my back and that is especially true when God's plan for our life looks different than we would expect. Remembering God's faithfulness in the past reminds us that he is absolutely always with us and it's especially true when we go through challenges in life when it may not feel that way. I cannot build my life on my feelings because my feelings change. I love Carter, I love Sarah. If they come up right now and start beating on me, I may not like them in that moment as much. My feelings change, I'm not, I'm wishy-washy. Now I'd still love them, but I'd be mad at them. We'd get in a wrestling match. Uh, You get what I'm saying? We change all the time. You guys get mad at each other constantly. Best friends, I hate her, I hate him. You guys, you laugh because you've heard it and you know it and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I remember when I said that. We're fickle, we change. God doesn't. So when we can look back and we can remember the things God's done, that provides stability. Because if I base my life on my feelings, it's unstable. Because my feelings change. All right? When, and this is the big one this week. When we focus on our problems. Do you understand? It's not that we don't acknowledge our problems. But when we put our focus on our problems, we are going to find ourselves afraid. Do you understand? The Egyptian, the, the, the Israelites looked out and they seen the army. They seen the problem, and what were they? They were terrified. They were scared. And when we focus on our problems, we will find ourselves afraid. But, and here's the trick if we can focus on God's faithfulness, then there is nothing out that there is absolutely nothing outside of his power, then we can stand firm through anything. There's nothing that we can't stand against. And if you don't believe me, I was thinking about this. Man, I just, I got all excited because there's this story about this guy named Jesus. You guys heard about Jesus, all right? I really like talking about Jesus. Matthew chapter 14. I want you to hear this story, all right? And this will this will drive the hammer down on the point that I'm trying to get you guys to grab hold of right now, all right? Immediate, so understand God is, Jesus has performed this fantastic miracle and he has fed all these people with just a little bit of food. He's fed all these people, performed this amazing sign. And people are all excited about Jesus, alright? And this is where we pick it up, Matthew 14, chapter, 20, or chapter 14, verse 22 through 27. Immediately he, that is Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. So it'd be like me, uh, you know, telling uh, uh, my sponsors, get on the boat and head on over the lake while I'm finishing up talking to you guys. All right, that's what Jesus is doing. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So in in other words, okay, now he's taking a little bit of time. And when evening came, He was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from land. In other words, it was going, uh, and it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So it was rocky waters. And in the fourth watch of the night, all right, he came to them walking on the sea. Uh, Jesus doing a supernatural miracle, walking on the water. Uh, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it's I. Do not, do not be afraid. So, you know, Jesus gives his little, his little spiel and he sends them out and he shows up. And, you know, I, I couldn't get a, an actual footage of him walking in the night. It was him walking in the day somehow on this edit. Uh, you know, and he shows up walking on the water. And the, and the guys are so confused I mean a they're in the middle of rough waters understand these are a lot of these guys are professional fishermen like that's what they did is lived on that lake and caught fish it ain't like they didn't know what living on the lake was but this was a rough rough sea and all of a sudden they see somebody walking across and they forgot what's funny is they just had this crazy miracle and seeing God's provision and it was like they immediately forgot about all that, and they're freaked out. There's a ghost coming to get us! Like there's not a God that's in control of the situation, and they're scared, like little kids scared of ghosts. It's a ghost! It's a ghost, you know? When you're a little kid, and you, uh, uh, you hear a bump in the night, and you don't have an answer uh, for what that noise is. You don't have an answer for what that sound is, so your head, uh, or you don't have an answer for that shadow, your head concocts an image of, it's a ghost, it's the boogeyman, it's all these different things. You guys can do the next slide, it's okay, I promise. There you go. I thought she was really cute, that's why I had to use that one. A little girl just terrified of the, the ghost, right? He picks it up man, and Jesus says, "Don't look, it's me guys, it's me, relax, it's not the boogeyman. Matthew 14, 28 through 33. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. That's a pretty awesome idea. And uh, Jesus says, okay, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water too. And he came to Jesus. Now pay attention, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, and he took hold of him, saying to you, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the son of god. So, I want you to get this, Peter who's kind of like the the unofficial leader of the apostles and he's the alpha dog and he's the the loud mouth, he's always putting his foot in his mouth and I really like Peter. I get this guy. And he says, "All right, Jesus, I'll come out and walk with you." And he gets it right at first because he fixes his eyes on Jesus and he gets out and he starts taking a couple steps. And he's walking on the water. But the wind is still blowing and the waves are still rising. And, and instead of keeping his eyes focused on Jesus, he starts looking around him at his problems. And he starts sinking in the water. Like the Israelites were looking at their problems and their spirit is descending and they're getting scared. And it kind of got me to thinking. There's a lesson here for us, right? And it got me thinking about application. And, well, have you guys ever seen a tightrope walker? Now, you did just earlier. If you hadn't before, go next slide. Come on, guys, keep up. Now, I love this picture of this tightrope walker because it, it keys in on this principle. And you see her smiling and, and she's doing good. But what is she, what is she not looking at? She's not looking at that strap to save uh, for anything. Now there's a reason I I played the flying with video. I I cannot believe that I actually forgot about this until I was working on this sermon and I had like this myriad of emotions flood into me uh, upon this memory. In 2014, I took Carter and Caden to uh, the circus up in St. Louis. Circus Flora. And while we were there, the flying Walendas was, were there. And they were doing that very stunt, the pyramid, and, and all these other things. It was amazing. And there was this old man there. Uh, his name is Tino Walenda. Now, the Tino would, would kind of give you an explanation. He's, he's more than just a, a tightrope walker, okay? He's a He's actually a man of the faith, solid Christian dude. And he liked to talk to people after the show about walking the tightrope and about life. And this is what uh, Tino Walenda had to say. He said, the, the trick to walking a tightrope is to keep your eyes on, fixed, on an unmoving point, a fixed point. In other words, you never look at the strap. You never look at the ground. You you look at a solid object that does not move. You fix your eyes upon that. That's the only thing you look at, and then you keep your balance and you move and you just you stay focused on that spot and you never look away from it. Just like that girl, you notice how she was not looking down; she was looking straight across. And Tino says, "You you get a focus on that point. You focus on that point, and you keep that point." as your goal. And then he goes on, he says, life is a tightrope. The focus of our life is to be Jesus. If we keep focused on Jesus, our eyes fixed on him, then we will keep our balance. We will not slip and fall and we will reach our goal. The trick is is staying focused. This is a neat guy. If you ever get a chance to see, uh, as far as that goes, I remember this is right when I was beginning to understand God called me to ministry and I was just getting sent to Honduras for the first time. And that guy stopped and prayed with me and my kids before I left for Honduras. Neat guy, man. I I almost cried today. Like I, I forgot about it. You know, and I'm, oh, here I am telling you guys to remember the good things. This is one of the good things God did in my life. He put that guy in my life at the right time to kind of help steer me and encourage me along the way. And that guy who's world famous for doing one thing and one thing well, he stays focused. Focused. And, uh, well... It's this awesome scripture, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It's way out of sequence in there. Hopefully it's right. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. This is what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I want you guys to pay attention. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say this. Rejoice. In other words, there's always a reason to praise God. That's what he's saying. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Of all the things I hope people say about you guys, I hope they say you're reasonable and that you're loving. That's a, the that's a, that's a best thing. Reasonable and loving are good things to be known for in this world. Uh, that, that'll point them to Jesus. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will now you understand we just went through everything with with Moses and the crew and every time God said this will happen what happened he's a hundred percent faithful right this happened that's right God says if you will do this the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise from God to you. And he continues, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, I want you to think about these things. I want you to remember These things. I want you to focus on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. The same same Paul that says, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at Jesus. I want you to focus on him. You focus on them. Practice these things. And the God of peace, again, not might, not maybe, not could be. The God of peace will be with you. No matter how shaky the strap is, he's rock solid. And if I fix my eyes on Jesus, I can just keep moving. Straight down the line. Doesn't matter how tall the waves are. I'm not looking at the waves. I don't care what the, the storm's life throws at you. Look, it's not that you don't say, yep, there's a storm, but I can't focus there. My focus has got to be on Jesus. My focus has got to be not on the problem, on the solution. I need to remember what God has done in the past. I have to remember. Because that's going to propel me towards the future. And I've got to refocus. When I see the waves getting big... Okay, I need to really focus because the strap's really shaking and I don't want to fall off the tightrope. So I'm going to stay focused on Jesus. I'm going to stay focused. What are you focused on? Because I'll tell you, everything in the world wants you to focus on it rather than Jesus. There is not one thing whether it's uh, your favorite sports team, whether it's some girl or some guy or some do- Deer season. Andrew, it's going to try to get us, bro. It's going to try to distract us, and we're going to get hung up on deer season, man. My problems, my blessings, my PlayStation, my Xbox, school, School's good, but man, I can get messed up and I can... I have got to stay focused on Jesus in all these things. It's not that the things themselves are bad, but if those things take a priority over my focus in Jesus, my life is in big trouble. Jesus has got to be my focus or I fall off the tightrope. Jesus has got to be my focus or when my circumstances aren't so great, I'm going to fall apart and my life's going to feel unstable. Or... I can stay focused on Jesus and say, you know what, this or that or whatever, but I'm focused on Him and I'm just gonna keep moving forward. And that peace that surpasses all understanding can be mine and it can be yours. And all you have to do is look around. There's a whole bunch of people whose focus is on the wrong things And you see the hurt. You see them crying out for peace. And they could have it if they would just set their focus on Jesus. What are you focused on in life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, thank you. Thank you again for Moses. What an example. What an awesome, you know, from a leadership guy. Like that is like the guy, man. What, a, what an awesome leader. Selfishly, or selflessly, not selfishly, selflessly, sacrificially leading these people pointing them to you constantly. I love, as you used him like a marker to, to record the, these events, he's constantly deferring to you. God, God did this. He promised this. He did it. He did it. You did it, Lord. Uh, thank you for demonstrating your faithfulness through the life of Moses. Thank you for the example. Thank you for giving us real examples. We can relate to you because the truth is every one of us have been backed into a corner. Every one of us have at times looked and been overwhelmed by the problem that we've seen because we were focused on the problem and not focused on you. Father, help us. Help us to train. Just like a tightrope walker doesn't just immediately walk up and walk across the Grand Canyon. That's not how that works. It takes practice. It takes trials. They fall and they train and they get better and better but they're training their eyes constantly to focus. To focus. Lord, help us to continually get better at focusing on you. Help us. And Lord, thank you for the gift of peace. Thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.